And hey everyone, you're listening to the Collabcast, a podcast about creative life from an Asian American perspective. This is Marvin Yue, it's episode 199, and on this episode we'll be bringing you a couple interviews I did with Diane Doan and Hoon Lee, um, two of the stars from the hit Cinemax show Warrior. For those of you who have been following Warrior, Warrior is a Cinemax TV series um, based on the writings of Bruce Lee. It just wrapped up its first season um, last week with a second season already confirmed and on its way. So if you missed your chance to follow along while it was on the air, the whole series is now available to you on demand if you have a Cinemax subscription. So if you happen to subscribe to Cinemax, um, definitely check it out. We conducted these interviews a couple weeks ago while they were in the middle of their season. And uh, we talked to both of them about their roles and their thoughts on being a part of this groundbreaking series. So with that, let's get on with the show. Our first segment is with Hoon Lee, the actor that plays Wang Chao, the smooth operator who acts as a broker amongst the CD underbelly of 1800s Chinatown. Hoon Lee himself is an accomplished actor with credits in movies, TV, and stage. Please enjoy my conversation with Hoon. And everyone, welcome back to the Collabcast. We're here on the line with Hoon Lee, who plays Wang Chao in the hit Cinemax series Warrior. How's it going, Hoon? That's good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Um, really excited to talk to you. Uh, congratulations on uh, getting the second season order. I know you guys are busy at work, working on season two right now. How does it feel to hear about the success of this show? Uh, it's it's incredibly gratifying. You know, this is a show that we've worked very, very hard on. Um, and obviously, because so much of the cast is is of Asian descent, it has a tremendous amount of weight for us and importance. And um, we understand that, you know, we we want to do the best work we can. Um, so we're thrilled that people have seemed to be responding to it positively. We're absolutely um, incredibly uh, grateful and excited that there's a season two. And um, we just want to you know, keep hammering away at it as best we can. Yeah. So for those people who have heard of the series or haven't heard the series, um, can you let us know what uh, who your character is? Sure. Um, so in San Francisco in 1878, which is where the world is set, um, our lead character, Assam, arrives from China uh, on a quest, which becomes uh, evident as the series progresses. And uh, my character, Wang Chao, spots him at the the dock right away and recognizes that he's um, a sort of martial arts prodigy. Uh, and Wang Chao is a, an operator and a fixer in this community. He's um, able to speak English quite well, and so he's been able to negotiate uh, deals and sort of backroom deals with the local police. Um, but he's also got his hands uh, in different sorts of businesses in Chinatown as well. And so Wang Chao takes it upon himself to sort of uh, introduce Assam to one of the local Tongs, um, sort of one of the more powerful Tongs, the Hapwei, and uh, they take him in. So Wang Chao is a sort of, um, he's sort of a middleman and an organizer. He lives somewhere in between, uh, you know, like a bookie and a dealer and a lawyer. <laughs> um, 
and in some ways he reflects uh, the sort of multifaceted profession that that did exist actually at the time. People who were responsible for taking in new immigrants and and sort of getting them on their feet in the new world, um, just with a darker, more criminal. Person. Yeah, I mean. That kind of stuff happens these days too. I've read about the network of you know, Chinese Americans getting new immigrants set up in, say, restaurants and getting um, businesses set up. And there's all these, you know, exactly. uh, especially yeah. for new immigrant communities where, you know, like a lot of attorneys back then were used as scab labor, and you know, their legitimate legitimate um, avenues of employment was just not available. So you know, people have to do what they can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and because of the nature of our show. I think you can see Wang Chao as sort of um, a bit of an analog to those to those sort of historical uh, figures that would would do a lot of that work, um, and sort of he's sort of a heightened, more dramatized and and darker yeah. version. Of um, that. What I really love about your character too is it always seems like he's the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> yeah, I've been very lucky that uh, Jonathan Tropper. Who, who was, you know, our showrunner, executive producer, and creator of this show, who also created Banshee. He's uh, he's written really smart characters for me, which is incredibly fun to play, um, and makes you feel pretty cool uh, as you're shooting until you stop shooting and you, you know, come back to not being the smartest guy in the room. It's, it's easy to be the smartest guy in the room when someone's writing your words for you. That's that's easy. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you bring a lot to it too. Um, I, I did enjoy your character in um, in Banshee as well, and I enjoy that. You know, it's a different sense of sass that Wang Chao brings, but he's still it's obviously judging everyone around him, and it's great to see. Yeah, Wang Chao. I mean, I think uh, there there is some similarity between the characters in that they're very they they very much value their independence, and Wang Chao. Uh, that's a core idea for him, um, which is particularly significant in this story because so much of this story is about um, the divisions between people and, and the way that people choose sides. Um, so not just the Hopway and the Longzi, the, the various Tongs in Chinatown, but also the Chinese and the Irish and the you know the politicians and the common man. There are so many. Um, these sorts of uh, so many of these sorts of um, team A and team B comparisons set up so to have some characters that that sort of slip in between um, I think is very interesting but they also carry a lot of um, you know the 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 opinions that they have uh, can be more nuanced because so much of the world is is uh, set up in opposition to a, a different idea, you know. And Atoy is, is a character like that as well, where Atoy is an independent businesswoman, um, which is even, I think, in many ways, even more significant than Wang Chao because she's a woman in this era. Um, but I, I've enjoyed being a character that seems to really cherish uh, not being part of a team. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, trying to examine the question of, you know, at what point do you have to choose a side or at what point is loyalty really important? Um, that's always an interesting puzzle. Yeah. I mean, what I really enjoy about the show is how it examines things like the way power works. Like, and how, you know, in, in this world where everyone is so focused on a single single task, like there's characters like, like Atoy, like Wang Chao, who see the strings being pulled. Right, right. I mean, it's uh, uh, just just the idea of the Chinese um, friction with the Irish 
um, you know, that historical conflict is fascinating. And it's, you know, to me, it's been really exciting to see my castmates really bring that to life because it puts a human face on that, you know, Um, the dramatization of that conflict, um, even though we know it's, you know, a fictional context, the characters aren't, are, are fictional characters. It, it makes it more humane, you know, it makes it, it brings the humanity of it closer to us. We start to understand, okay, well, Leary isn't just a racist. He's somebody that's trying to protect and provide for his people, you know, and, and, uh, that the Irish were in the same position that the Chinese were, uh, the Irish were in the same position that the Chinese in our story are in now where they were seen as the outsiders coming in and taking jobs and, you know, sponging off the land and all that. Um, so to me, it's, it's to have characters that sort of give voice to these very human problems that we still wrestle with. Um, it, it, it helps me process the things that are going on in our world. And in some perverse way, it gives me a quite a bit of comfort that, <laughs> you know, that these are things that we've wrestled with in the past and have, and have um, made better, you know? So I was just talking to people about just how, a lot of the stuff we're dealing with now is it is not the first time we've dealt with it. things like like a ban on an entire race of people i mean that happened in our history and it's happening in your show yeah 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 i wanted to talk yeah. about um you've been acting for for quite a while um how does it feel to be in this show that's you know groundbreaking not only the story it's telling but in that it's this culmination of this story that was literally like allegedly silenced so many years ago yeah yeah i you know it's you try not to think too hard about it i think it's a sort of history and legacy that can apply an unhelpful amount of pressure um i think that our first responsibility is to create the most entertaining show that we are able to and um and, and for me personally, it's always a personal goal for me to try to have a work experience uh, that is rich and, um, you know, sort of one that helps me grow, one that teaches me things, one that allows me to work closely and collaboratively with people that I respect and, and grow to cherish. And that certainly has been the case with this show. Um, but you know, having worked in theater in shows with larger Asian casts like uh, King and I um, a couple of years ago and, you know, other theater pieces that I've done, it, you know, I had a lot of hope that a show like this would would um, follow the mold of those theater shows and, and introduce me to a cast of people that would feel very quickly like family. Um, and that certainly has happened. I think that when you get a a large group of people together that are um, from an ethnic minority that maybe don't have the same uh, opportunity for experience. When you gather them together in a large ensemble like this, I think everyone recognizes that it's a very special uh, opportunity, a very special sort of occasion, and, and, it, and it creates a, a, an incredible bond. Um, and I'm very pleased that I think that that bond has really also extended beyond just the the Asian uh, descended cast members and has in- included, um, you know, our UK brethren, our, our, uh, our Irish brethren who are working our show, uh, the South African people that we work with. And 
um, it just feels like a very special um, team. Uh, so, yeah, that, but I also approach it with a certain amount of, <laughs> a certain amount of wariness because uh, I've been working long enough and I'm old enough to have uh, gone through a couple of cases where people have said, you know, this is it. This is the time when Asian Americans are really going to burst onto the scene now. And, you know, it kind of didn't happen. Um, so I, I just kind of look at it like the the big flashover point that everyone is looking for, I, I think is a bit of a myth. And I think that we just, we keep chipping away at it and we just keep doing better. The most important thing is to continue to improve what we're doing, the quality of what we're doing. Um, that's the part we have control over. Um, and uh, so that's been my yeah. focus. You've done, you know, David Hemingway plays, you've, mm-hmm. you've worked yep. in Asian American theater groups. And so it's people like you who've, been in this industry for a long time that's kind of laid the groundwork for this moment we have now and i do agree like some a lot of us in the community we're working our hardest to like make sure like take advantage of this flashpoint like you said we have right now but make sure that's not just like a a passing fad that's actually becomes a movement that we can build upon right right i think it's great that shows like yours exist to show contrast so that not everyone's making a show about rich Chinese people, you know, like your show is about <laughs> working class, like Chinese Americans who right. like are Americans. Yeah. We have some rich Chinese people too, but <laughs> like, yeah, there's a, there's a, you know, I, again, I feel like what's, what I have enjoyed about this show is that first and foremost, um, it's a show about characters that I think, uh, the, the creator is interested in, you know, um, and, and interested in, you know, Shannon and Justin and Jonathan, like they're interested in these characters, not necessarily because just because they're Asian, you know, um, that the ethnicity is not at the forefront of the creation of the characters that these characters have, you know, driving needs and obstacles they need to overcome and all of these things that they're fun or that they're violent, that they're flawed. You know, I think it would have been a very, dangerous and easy thing for them to try to create what would amount to sort of Bruce Lee tribute show with a, an immaculate, um, unassailable lead character that was to be the avatar of Bruce Lee. And if I think that they had done that, it would have been a colossal failure. Um, and instead they worked towards creating um, a, a deeply troubled and uh, serious and flawed character in Assam that gives them the headroom to evolve a person. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that's critical. You know, that's, that's the foundation of, of entertainment and the, the type of show that they're trying to build. So I'm glad we, I think we avoided a huge number of deadly traps. Um, uh, and I've, I've been really uh, pleased to see that. I think people recognize yeah. that. The aesthetic of the show is one of, like, my favorite period for Asian stories is, you know, pre-war Shanghai with, like, the vests and the, 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 the white shirts. And, and I love that, you know, your, your show is bringing that. How does it feel? To, like, because you are in, literally inhabiting the body of, you know, some who might not be, like, our direct ancestors, but, like, like generationally in the, the United States, like, someone like us who came before. Like, how does that open your eyes to anything, to experiences, like to inhabiting this, the character of Wang Chao? Um, what I like about Wang Chao in that sense is that, um, you know, he's a real striver. You know, he's somebody that is uh, trying to come up in the world and is doing it by embracing the new reality of where he is. You know, even, even today, 
you can go to, you know, Chinatowns in various cities in the United States and, you know, encounter people who don't speak any English. They, they've just kind of, they've come over and they've grown up in a sort of cocoon. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to see somebody who at this sort of, uh, nascent stage of Chinese immigration in the country, um, decides he's going to be a bridge, you know, that he's going to cross over and, and take on, you know, what he can from, from the incumbents. Uh, that to me is a classic immigration story. It's, um, it's something that Wang Chao embodies, uh, in a slightly different way than any of the other characters. Um, and I, th- I think the fact that he's sort of doing whatever he can get away with also feels very American to me. <laughs> you know, that I, 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 I joke with friends of mine that New York is a city that is founded on the principle of what can you get away with? Um, and, uh, and that it's, that's largely, uh, how it came to greatness. And in some ways it's still how it's run, you know? And I think that there's a, there's a pragmatism to it that feels very American to me. And at the end of the day, although we are telling, um, we are focusing on these characters that largely came from China, we are telling an American story, you know, and that, that factored very strongly the decision about how we speak in the show. Um, that it's, you know, unaccented English or Americanized English even. Um, and that I think is a really important point. Yeah, it seems like you're you're asked to do um, like all three because your character speaks in you know the colloquial English when he's talking to other other Chinese, but you also have scenes where you speak Cantonese and scenes where you speak accented English. I know that that's not something that all the characters do. Maybe it's just because of you know levels of. No, I mean what what we're trying to do with that mechanism, which is actually a very sort of um, I've encountered that mechanism in theater a lot, in particular. Um, is what you're trying to do is remove the friction of the difference in language. That, that's how I see it, right? And a lot, you're trying to open the door so people can get lost in the world. And because it's an American story, fundamentally, the language, the dominant language is, you know, quote unquote, American English for these Chinese people that are, that are ostensibly speaking Cantonese to one another. Um, but to, I think that that was, as a decision, I thought it was quite bold, but I really loved it because um, there's enough Cantonese spoken uh, at the beginning and then here and there to just sort of set the stage, to, to sort of acknowledge and, you know, um, put forward the idea that this is, this is what these, these uh, immigrants are going to be speaking to one another, right? But that when they are, uh, but when that context is clear, meaning, for example, when you're in a room full of native Cantonese speakers in our show, there's going to be the switch over to unaccented or Americanized English um, so that we can really embrace the idea that this is um, people in America, you know, and that we're trying to get a feeling across and a tone across about how these people speak and where they come from and what their sort of attitude and mores are. Um, when they speak in a different context, meaning when they, it is a shared scene with 
you know, Western people, Caucasian people, what have you, Irish people, then they are speaking uh, sort of with the accent English that you would have heard in that environment um, because they're not speaking their native tongue. So uh, I suspect there, there's some there's some confusion about this, but I, I thought they handled it quite well. Um, and most of the people that I've sort of uh, pinged about it, they, they seem to understand the conceit. Yeah, I think um, I think the way they shot it, the way they do those scenes, it's it's pretty straightforward, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It's hard to think that anyone would get confused, but you you never know when when it comes to these things. But oh my I, gosh, I get confused <laughs> about all kinds of stuff, though. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll sometimes be chatting with friends of mine about some show I've watched for years, and they'd be like, "No, no, no, that's not what's happening." And I'd be like, "Oh, so you know, I don't." Yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, but I love the how. You know that way you you can convey even though if it not may not be the same like intonations or or like cadence of what they were actually speaking to each other, you get the gist of like the emotions and the attitudes behind their conversations right from right. you know our perspectives as you know modern colloquial English speakers yeah, and I think that that's sort of the point the point is to um get people as you know to sort of not erase but to sort of um, minimize the sort of gap that people might feel because of the the time, you know, and to sort of bring home the point that this is this is an ongoing conversation, that this is an ongoing, uh, you know, sort of uh, societal um, problem or issue, or you know, that these are in many ways, you know, timeless themes. Um, and I think that a lot of that is brought home by the, the use of language and the sort of deliberate um, choices there. Yeah. And it's always fun to hear. Not that Cinemax needs to censor, but, you know, Kathy's curse words on the air is always fun to hear. <laughs> curse words in general. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> well, I think that's our time. Um, thank you so much, Hoon, for talking with us on the collab cast. Oh, um, congratulations on the show. Um, congratulations on season two. Have Thank you. fun out there in, in, in South Africa, and um, we'd love to catch up with you when you're back in town someday. And that'd be great. I'd love it. Thank you. Next up, I talked to Diane Doan, who plays Mai Ling, the sister of the main character Assam, and a woman with a lot of ambitions in 1800s Chinatown. I speak with Diane about her role on the show and how her background as a dancer helped her out in this martial arts focused epic. Please enjoy my conversation with Diane. You are listening to the Clubcast. My name is Mervyn Yue. I am here talking with Diane Doan, uh, who plays Mai Ling in the new hit Cinemax series, Warrior. Uh, she's calling us all the way across the ocean from South Africa, where she's on set filming uh, for season two. How's it going, Diane? It's going well. It's going. I mean, we're busy plugging away right now, so it's nice to take a second and, and, and talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Congratulations on getting that second season and looking forward to many, many more. Yeah, no, it's, it's you know, obviously it's, it's such a feat for all of us to, to get that second season support from, from the network, but also the audience members who continue to, to tune in. So we're just excited and grateful to be able to continue the story right now. Yeah, so you play the character Myling, who is one of the leads of this show. For those people who haven't tuned in yet, um, can you 
Let us know who your character is. Yeah. So I, I play Mai Ling, who when you first meet her, all you really know is that she is a part of the Long Z Tong, so it's, uh, the Long Z Gang, one of the gangs within um, San Francisco's Chinatown. I, I guess, you know, you meet her under mysterious circumstances because you don't quite know how she got to Chinatown or why she's there. An interesting fact is, fact is that most women who um, immigrate to America would most likely become a prostitute in one of the brothels. So it's interesting to meet, you know, a woman outside of a brothel, which is one of the characters in the show, and, and just kind of see how and why she got to where she is. Another mini-spoiler, I guess, is that Assam, the main character of the show, you meet him literally walking off a boat and joining the opposing tongue, the hot way. But his storyline is that he's come to, to America in search of someone, and that someone is his sister, who so happens to be smiling. And, of course, being on opposite tongues, the tension builds throughout the season and, you know, what it means for their relationship being on, on opposite sides. That's kind of my runaround without spoiling anything. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, what's what's really awesome is that it really plays with people's expectations of what, I guess, Chinese women were like back then. And it's it's really interesting because her character and her role is a lot about breaking the systems that she came from. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is something that drew me to the character for sure, just breaking these molds and and a lot of, you know, the, the stereotypical tropes of characters for Asian women um, that, that we so often see, um, whether it's being, you know, being the love interest or being just hypersexualized. Um, so, no, it's been, it's been fun. And, and, you know, I've been saying to I've been saying that there's a fine line with Myling's character on how far Jonathan and the writers, you know, want to push her to be villainous and almost mustache twirling to to really remembering as a performer that I need to ground myself and remember where she came from and, and how she can no longer be, you know, abused or at the bottom and, and power is her main her main um priority and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because you know you, you look at you know period pieces from you know Asian dramas from that time, and um, a lot of the women characters in those like kind of court drama, it's all about using what skills they had to assert power, you know, politically. And you know, uh, Mylene's struggles or her her I guess character arcs in in this first season has all been all about like you know, asserting her power behind the scenes and really making the men do the work for her, which is this show is billed as like a martial arts epic, you know, Western, but for a good show, you need that, you know, layer of intrigue and politics. That's, you know, what we crave for with shows like Game of Thrones or even Westworld. And it's really cool to see like Miley's character be the center of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been, I think another element of surprises, you know, Asan and Miley are the only two Asian or Asians on the show that can speak English. So, you know, this tool that, that I've, that my language used to, to kind of gather more, um, 
ammo, if you will. And so you, you kind of watch her unfold, gathering these, um, this ammo that she'll definitely later use to her advantage. That's the thing. There's so many different storylines, but yet at the core, we all kind of are entangled in, in, um, in this world of, you know, sentences, Chinatown versus the political sector versus the Irish workers. And yes, it's been fun to kind of each episode find out more and more of what's going to happen at, you know, at the table reads. Yeah. It's, it's been great to see how the showrunners have built a world where, you know, it could have very, very easily just been this show about Chinatown and the internal politics, but the show looks like it understands that it's much more than that, and and especially at this period of time. Um, and you've already brought up the exclusion act during the show as something that's happening in the background. I really enjoy the fact that like Mylene and um, Olivia's character, at first blush, they may seem like your typical you know dragon lady stereotype, you know the mysterious Asian woman manipulating men through like mysterious means. But I think the way that the show portrays them, they're not mysterious manipulators. They're people put in situations where they have to survive, and that's why they they do the things they do. Um, I'll I'll add to that that um, I have been reading. You know, we do these live tweets during the episode and, and we do like an Instagram live afterwards. And it's interesting reading whether it's reviews or just comments from the audience about how my link character, you know, just sleeping to the top or using her, her sex to, to gain power. And there's been a couple of those where obviously, as I was saying earlier, there's this fine line to play this dragon lady or this villain or, or, or not. And, and I would only hope that, you know, we're, the audience is getting more and more of my backstory. Um, whether it's, I think it was in episode three when, when Assam tells my backstory to Penny and how I was basically sold off. And, you know, you can only imagine that I was, you know, raped by this warlord and I escaped to, to America. And my backstory with my ring is that she's been in this vulnerable position for so long that escaping reinventing herself and never being in that place again. I mean, being a prostitute in a brothel was not an option for my land. And so you find yourself in this tongue working her way up, but I wouldn't say at all by, you know, manipulating these men. It's more so her smarts and her, her need for survival and, you know, having a real relationship with Long Z a man who respects her and, and marries her and lets her be, you know, her own leader in a way. So that is kind of, you know, the, the trajectory of my lane coming from me, the performer, but it's interesting reading, you know, some, some audience point of view or person reviewers, but yeah, I just hope it plays out that way. That it's not just this dragon lady. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's a credit to the the writers and the showrunners that everything in this, like everything about this show, is so groundbreaking that you know um, there there's there's a lot of you know putting like turning tropes on their heads, and I think part of it is also making us question our perceptions of what, who these characters are. And what I really enjoy watching in the show, maybe. I don't know if I'm the only one or or if it's just like us, you know, Asian Americans, but like the fact that every episode the characters are catching the white characters off guard because 
they're showing that they either because Assam or or I can speak English. You know, so oftentimes people conflate language with you know intelligence and competence, and I think that's why I appreciate the way the show plays with language. That you know, it's it does that. You know, the the pan where they're speaking Cantonese in one one scene and it transitions to them speaking English because you know being able to understand what they're really saying, the emotions behind it, and being conveyed in like the Western, like colloquial sense, it's really important to see that these were people who had like real lives. Yeah. No, I think it's just this, this very real scenes of, you know, being treated as minorities and coming to this country and being abused and taken advantage of. And, and we, we do, you know, whether it's the Irish workers for one, or the, the Chinese immigrants that come into Chinatown, San Francisco. But to, I think it was very important to show those aspects of, of what happened. And, 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 you know, and then within our little world who, you know, the political side or the American side, they don't see, but we are owning our own businesses. We are finding ways to survive and, and having empires, if you will, um, yeah, there's this, there's this, this intelligence that's being questioned constantly. Um, I totally understand. And I hope you're not the only one that thinks this of the show. And yeah, it's definitely something that we haven't seen a lot of before. And I, I know a lot of us in the community are really enjoying watching like this type of story unfold because it's, you know, a lot of us grew up with, you know, like wuxia stories, which are pretty much like, you know, Asian Westerns and to see that apply to like, you know, something that's quintessentially like more American, like the Western like setting. It's really, really cool. So I wanted to uh, just um, thank you, the crew and everyone for, for bringing this story to life. Um, let's talk about how, like, how did this um, role come about for you? Mary, um, I think JT will attest to this or confirm this, that, I was the last person cast for for the show, for the series regulars at least. And um, it came really quickly. I think the audition came in on a Wednesday. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it because I just had no information on it. Um, and usually, to be honest, I'm going to tell you a little thing. Um, very early on, I've kind of out of my comfortability level and, 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 you know, kind of the roles that I wanted to go after, I have often have said no, not, not that they've been offered to me, but even the audition, I've turned out auditions where I would play the love interest or, or, you know, the hot girl. I just, I never wanted to, to be kind of stereotyped into, into that role. And especially being Asian American, as we spoke about earlier, being hyper sexualized um, in the media. So with this role, um, it came through my manager, really didn't know anything about warrior. We didn't look it up and she, she turned it down because it said, you know, must be comfortable with nudity and, um, and knowing that, you know, it's going to be on a cable network, you know, with HBO and Cinemax, they are known to be a little racier. So she said no. And she just let me know in an email that we we've turned down this show called warrior. Let's move on. And I think I shot the email back right away. It was like seven 30 in the morning. I'm like, sounds good. Let's move on. And just, I woke up like an hour later and 
there was something in me that was like, and I never do this. Usually I just move on and, you know, you wait for the next audition. And there was something in me that was like, well, let's just look up what warrior is. And as soon as I put it in Google, you know, the first thing that pops up is Justin Lin attached to Bruce Lee's story, um, Shannon Lee on board, home to Cinemax. And I just kept scrolling through. And I think like my stomach just dropped at this, you know, chance, if it's true, is this the same warrior? And I, I um, just kind of messaged or tapped my, my boyfriend and I'm like, do you think I should go for it? I mean, we've already said no. Anyways, long story short, he said, how could you say no to, you know, anything Justin Lin's attached to Bruce Lee of all people. And so I had a, um, a meeting with JT, Jonathan Tropper, the showrunner, and he kind of just ran me through what my Ling's character is and, and his vision of her, her arc in the first season. And, you know, cause I, of course I had my reservations with, with the breakdown and I asked all my questions, you know, I wanted to make sure that she just isn't, um, you know, a stereotypical Asian character, female character. And, and he, you know, we, we talked it through, he gave me the first episode and the next day I put it on tape and I, it was a weekend and, you know, I got a call Monday that they wanted to book me. We went through the whole process. And I think by Friday, I was on a plane to Cape Town to shoot the pilot. So it was extremely rushed and just a whirlwind of an experience. I mean, obviously there's more to the story, but that's the dumbed down version. And that even took long enough, but no, a really out of the box experience for me. And I meet the rest of the cast and they're unbelievably amazing people but I hear their audition stories and I I, you know you you always want what you didn't have and they got to like meet Shannon and Jonathan and Justin you know at HBO offices and and I was sitting there I'm like I had a Skype call and then you know I was on the plane so we all had different experiences but yes coming into my wing was um it's definitely one for the books yeah I mean She's such a pivotal character, too. Um, it's awesome that you were able to, like, essentially nail it on your on your. I I mean, thank you. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. There was a lot of finessing, <laughs> you know, going over it. We have amazing directors. I'm not going to say I just nailed it and I was meant for this role, but I am extremely grateful uh, to have gotten this part. Yeah, I mean, let's. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your, your background because you worked in the world of, of dance before coming into like acting on TV, right? Yes, that's that's right. Not many people know that. Um, I think I was, you know, I grew up doing martial arts for a little bit. And then I think my parents just thought it was a bit too dangerous. I could break a bone or something. And so they put me they put me in dance at age 10. Um, and I, I danced up into my early 20s. And I was a professional contemporary dancer in Vancouver. I moved to Vancouver when I was 18. And, you know, I danced for a few years, but I really wanted to, to try acting. But at the time, I was going to school part time and, and dancing in companies. And, you know, it's hard to stretch yourself out so thin. So I think at one point, you know, I, I kind of retired. That sounds so strange, but I retired as a dancer. And I kind of put all my eggs in this one basket of, of acting. And, you know, it's taken a while, but it's paying off. But yes, I was, I was a dancer, which I will say has helped with many of my roles um, physically, you know, knowing my body, being able to retain choreo. And with this show and, 
the martial arts background and even the training in the stunt with the stunt team, I would say it's, it's given me a little bit of a slight advantage getting in there just because I'm so aware of, of movement. Yeah. Um, let's talk more about that transition period then. Like, you know, when you decided to really pursue acting seriously, um, cause, um, at that point you had, how long have you been dancing? Um, I was, I guess I had 13 years of dance, 14 years of dance under my belt. Um, but I, you know, I have so many friends that are, are still dancers and I have so much respect for what they put their bodies through. And I kind of just knew that it wasn't as fulfilling for me as it, it was for some of them. And at that point, you know, if you're not going to put hundred percent into something, it's just not worth it for me. And, and dancing was my main reason of moving out. I mean, acting was my main reason of moving out to Vancouver. Dance just so happened, you know, I have this background. I worked my ass off to get to these dance companies, but in the back of my mind, this was a means to an end of, you know, paying rent and paying bills. Um, so I, I would say, honestly, I didn't take acting seriously until I booked Vikings, where I could see myself traveling, you know, across the world to film in Ireland, to be able to, to not have to work different jobs and, and to pay my bills, you know. I think it was actually a specific director in Vikings when she gave me the idea to even go to LA and give it, give it a shot. The industry is growing, but it's so small in Vancouver where I'm from that I think it was my last week in Vikings. And she sat me down. She's like, what's your plan? Her name is Helen Shaver. She's, you know, hopefully one day a mentor to me, but she sat me down. She asked, what are you, what are you going to do after Vikings? And my answer really was, well, I'm going to go back home and, and finish school. Um, you know, I need to get my degree eventually. And she just kind of planted the seed of, um, why don't you get your work visa and move down to LA and, and, and try it. And I think that kind of snowballed my whole mentality of like, I could really do this. And that was in 20, 2014. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I'd been acting here and there a little bit in Vancouver, but that was kind of the main, the main thing that kind of jump started my my new goal of making it in LA. And that's awesome. I mean, it's always tough, um, especially going from one creative field where you kind of understand how it's what it takes to work there to another one where you have to learn it again. And, you know, um, this being Asian American podcast, I'm sure, I don't know how um, your parents felt about the career change into creative to creative. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, obviously being first generation Asian Canadian, I was raised very much in the academias, you know, you had to be the typical doctor or lawyer, or actually my dad really wanted me to be a pharmacist, which I think is very common as well. Um, so they didn't understand when I, it's like the most, like it's the most stable in their eyes um, and safest route. But um, no, they, my father, I think still has difficulties with, with this career path that I've chosen. I mean, my mom has turned a new leaf and she's kind of like, if you're happy and you can pay your bills and you can, you know, put a roof over your head, then, then fine, just do that. But to be honest, it wasn't until recently, I think booking warrior and having it have to do anything with Bruce Lee. It was the first time that I really saw my dad kind of like light up with the idea of me being in the show um, just because of how much Bruce Lee's meant to him and, and, you know, raising us on Bruce Lee movies. 
to be a part of his legacy at all, I think my dad's just floored. So if anything, this show has given me validation that I'm in the right, in the right field. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's really just finding that those touch points with our parents, like show like a, that it is something that you can, you, you, that is a career, like a real, like full on career. Um, but also that it's something that, you know, they, they also recognize as, no, because Bruce Lee was one of the only earliest people to make it a career, and so having that as like a template or like as a as a reference point, I, I totally think that that helps. I mean, the the crazy thing that I will say is that you know my parents raised us on martial arts films and and Bruce Lee's films, but to take a minute and I I just asked my parents about it. They grew up in the Vietnam War, um, and I think having you know a relatable character or or actor on screen that they could see i mean bruce lee meant the world to my dad because it was a means to escape what was going on um in their lives at the time so to to know that and and to now know that i'm you know a part of this story that he bruce lee wanted so badly to make for himself i think my dad is one thing like so proud (laughs) and you know also in it, genuinely curious about this world that he's dreamt up that never that he never got to make. Um, so yeah, he he tunes in and and he wants to, you know, one day meet Shannon. I don't know if I can ever swing that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think it's been amazing that um, that this man has brought you know even my parents and I closer and and just them accepting what it is that I've I've chosen to do with with my life. Yeah, that's amazing. Well. Congratulations on all the success. Congratulations on season Thank you, two. Marvin. And uh, we've been talking to Diane Doan, who plays Mai Ling on the new hit Cinemax show, Warrior. Uh, thank you so much for talking with us, Diane. And um, I hope you have a great rest Thanks, of your time in, uh, in South Africa. And that'll do it for this episode of The Collab, because I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Hoon Lee and Diane Doan from the Cinemax series Warrior. It's going to be a little wait until Season 2 drops, but like I mentioned on the top of the show, all the episodes of Season 1 is now available on demand if you have a Cinemax subscription. So if you haven't checked out the show yet, definitely do so as soon as possible. And if you don't have Cinemax, find a friend who does. Go to their house and make a night of it. Um, thank you again to Hoon and Diane for speaking with me. Thank you to Cinemax for setting up this conversation and scheduling it so they can call in all the way from South Africa where they're filming season two. The Collabcast, of course, is a part of collaboration and nonprofit organizations supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment, discovering, elevating, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the Asian American community in North America and beyond. You can learn more about collaboration and our programs by going to our website at www.collaboration.org. And for those of you in San Francisco, um, Collaboration San Francisco is bringing back it's talent showcase um, it's going to be saturday june 29th at the david brower center in berkeley tickets are on sale now so check out their website at collabsf.org for more information and finally a big thank you to collab alum uzuhan for use of his song uzuhan for our intro and outro um you can find his music on itunes spotify or wherever you get your music and that'll do it for this episode thanks again for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time bye everyone I cannot compute. Pew pew. Hey, tell me who are you? Fondue. Got the smell on you. Hey, you. I seem a little sus. I can smell a bit of crowd. I yeah, I consider it a blessing. Hey, you consider it lasagna. I don't know. It's been a few years. I'm still a rookie in many regards, and I got a.